words and language, these are really strange and beautiful things. And weirdly enough, as much as we use words, as important of a part as language plays in our lives, we very rarely stop to actually think about the words we use and the language that we speak and the incredible process of of language being formed and developing and the way that words evolve over time. Even the fact that we have different languages, people in different geographical locations speaking different words but meaning the same thing is an incredibly wonderful thing. It's a creative thing. It's a beautiful picture of who God is and the diversity with which God creates us. But when you talk about language, there's also some difficulties that that go into that. One of the things in particular is that words change over time. And so we use words often that mean something now that they didn't mean 500 years ago, that they didn't mean 300 years ago, and, and that they didn't even mean 50 years ago in some cases. One of the other difficulties with words and languages is when you're trying to translate from one language to another, sometimes it's an easy process. Sometimes there's this word and this language, and it means this word and this language, and it's a nice, easy connection. Sometimes there are words and languages that can't be easily translated, that one word in another language just isn't enough to cover it. And so to understand what the word means in a new language, you have to use several words to help get that idea. And that's what's happening here as we continue looking through the fruit of the Spirit with the Greek word prautes, which in most English translations is translated into the word gentleness. Which is a good description, but it doesn't fully grasp the magnitude of what this Greek word means. If we think about it in just the term of gentleness, we think about being gentle with someone in an outward action. But gentleness, or as this word can also be translated, meekness in the Christian life is is more than just a mentality. It's more than a state of being. It's more than an action. It's all of these things in one at the same time, and yet it's also so much more. And so today we're going to look at gentleness or at meekness, and we're going to do so in a little bit of a different way than we have at all the other fruit of the Spirit. For each of the fruit of the Spirit so far, we've looked at another passage of Scripture that helps illustrate exactly what this means, and we've used just one week at a time. For this word, we're going to take the next two weeks to talk about it, and we're just going to focus on the one word itself. And so we're going to have two weeks breaking down one word. But I think it's important because we'll be able to look to the meekness and to the gentleness of Christ and see a deep understanding of what this word means and see how we can use our freedom in Christ to be people who are not only marked by meekness, but who also approach God with humility and deal gently With those around us. And so we're going to do that coming from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such things there is no law. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. And in this case, very literally for this one word that we're going to be spending a lot of time looking at. And as we talk about the beauty 
and the wonderful nature of language, we're just reminded of your beauty and your creativity and the fact that you are a God who speaks. And when you speak, we need to listen and your word matters. And God, this word matters. This word that we translate as gentleness or, or meekness. God, we thank you that that was given to us out of your gentleness and out of your meekness as Christ offered himself and became nothing for us to give us the salvation, to give us the freedom to be able to be meek and gentle in our own lives. So over the next two weeks, we just ask that you teach us what it means to be people marked by meekness and what it means to deal gently with others and to approach you with humility. And that this word would come alive in our lives and it would define who we are. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. As we talk about this idea of meekness and gentleness, we see that meekness begins with perspective. Meekness starts with perspective, with how we see things. And perspective is a really amazing thing because depending on the point of view that you look at something, that radically changes how you see it and what you understand about it. But instead of trying to describe it, I want to show you how amazing perspective can be. Alan? Here you have a guy who spends so much time with these small models and he makes these intricate little setups and it's, it's beautiful and it's artistic and it's wonderful, but then it really changes when he puts the camera in exactly the right place. And he takes the camera and he takes the lighting and he puts it in just the right spot to be able to see it from a completely different perspective. And when you remove all of the other things around it, the things that would give you perspective to know how small these are, when you take the artist out of the picture, when you take his hands away from the picture to see how small these items really are, all of a sudden you can believe that these are pictures of full-size cars. These are pictures of full-size stores that he's created a city with his own hands that just by changing the perspective, he can take us into this exact place. And the way that we see things, the way that we view things, and our perspective on things drastically changes the way that we not only look at the world, but the way that we function in the world. And because we tend to see things, we don't tend to, we only see things from our point of view, sometimes if we don't have the things in our life to help us gain perspective of the bigger picture, it can be very easy to start to believe things like we're the center of the universe. 
It would be easy for me to believe that because I only experience what I experience, that the minute you all leave this building today, you just shut down and go into some sort of closet because you're not necessary anymore because I'm not there. Because I don't see you doing things. I don't see you conducting your life. And you can tell me stories, but they're probably not real and they didn't matter because I wasn't there. We start to believe that we're the center of the universe, that we're the most important thing of the universe because there's nothing there a lot of times to help put that in perspective. We start to see our tiny models as the entire world because nobody can put a Coke can there to show us how really small we can be. We're in the midst of a season called Epiphany. And Epiphany is one of the seasons on the church calendar that really doesn't get a lot of love. It doesn't get a lot of attention. People a lot of times don't know what Epiphany is. And I think part of that might be because Epiphany doesn't have a thing. You know, with Advent, we have the candle. And so you can attribute Advent to the candle and our worship service looks different during Advent. And Christmas, we have all the stuff that goes on, the secular things that go on, but also the church services are different, and we have special services in the midst of the Christmas season. Lent has fasting. The Holy Week has different services through the week, and Easter is this big thing that everybody knows about. But Epiphany doesn't have the thing that helps us to know why it's important. But Epiphany is a really important time in the life of the Christian church because it reminds us, first and foremost, that Jesus came to bring salvation to the world. That he came through the gospel to open up salvation to the entire world, not just to the Jewish people, but to Gentiles and Jewish people alike who would put their faith in Christ, which is really important for a lot of us, dare I say most if not all of us here this morning, who don't come from a Jewish heritage. So we do thank God that he sent the apostles out into the world to take the gospel to all nations and that the gospel is for all people. But the season of Epiphany also reminds us that Jesus made manifest the glory of God. That Jesus is the epiphany or the revelation of God, his full power, his character, his grace, and his mercy. And so during the Epiphany season, we're reminded that Jesus came to show us God. And in showing us God, he also reveals a lot about who we are. Because as we see God for who he truly is, that's the perspective that we need. That's the object put there to show us the scale of how small we really are in comparison to how God really is. It's hard to feel particularly important when you look at God who hung the stars in the sky. It's hard to feel big when we see a God who holds the universe in the palm of his hand. It's hard to feel righteous and holy when we look at a God who is holy, 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 complete and perfect. And it's that perspective that gives us the entry point into meekness or gentleness. W.E. Vines in his dictionary defines this word and blows it up a good bit. In fact, it's one of the longer entries into his dictionary when he talks about this word that he translates as meekness. He talks about how meekness is an inwrought grace of the soul. And the exercise of it are first and chiefly towards God. It's that temper of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good, and therefore without disputing or resisting. He says it's closely linked to the word humility and follows directly on it in so many passages of scripture. He says it's only the humble heart, which is also meek, and which does not fight against God or more or less struggle and contend with him. 
Vine says that before humility, before meekness, before gentleness ever reaches out to anybody else, this describes our position and our posture and our perspective of who God is. And so we first and foremost have to be meek in our relationship with God, and we gain that through salvation. Because what Jesus does for us in salvation is that he sets us on this pathway to meekness by simply opening our eyes. He simply shows us how we're supposed to look at God to be able to see God for who he really is. And as we do that, it can't help but shine a lot of light on who we are. Just like in the video, as we see these pictures of what looks to be full-size cars and, and trees in the background that are to scale, all of a sudden the artist steps in behind the model and you realize how big he is and how small the models really are. That's what salvation does for us as Jesus reveals to us the majesty and the glory of God and illuminates to the depths of who we are. And so when meekness and gentleness is hard to find in our lives, and even if you're particularly gifted at being meek or being gentle with people, there are times when meekness and gentleness is hard to come by. And when that's the case, it's usually because we've lost our perspective about who God is. And we've stopped seeing God properly. Sometimes pride and arrogance can sneak into our lives and self-centeredness can sneak into our lives like a poison. And the only antidote to that kind of poison is worship. Because worship takes us out of our self-centeredness. Worship takes us out of our particular point of view and helps us to zoom out and to see God for who he really is. And so as we worship God by spending time in scripture and see how awesome and holy he is, as we worship God through prayer, as we worship God through confession and singing songs that lift up the name of Jesus and don't even speak our own names, that's what helps us to again see God in the light of who he really is and see the world the way that it's designed to be seen and to see ourselves in that same way. And so worship is the entry point a lot of times into meekness and into gentleness because it recalibrates our focus and it gives us something to look at our world where we see it in light of the scale of who God is and who we are. And so meekness begins with perspective. And as we gain that perspective, the perspective begins to change our posture. I've never bowed to anyone. It's just not part of our culture really and so I've I've never found myself bowing to someone and so if I started now it would would just feel kind of strange and kind of weird and kind of silly but I wonder if the fact that bowing is not a regular part of our culture I wonder if that's affected our Christianity because every, every geographic region, every culture where, where Christ is proclaimed, the culture does something to the way we express our Christianity and the way we worship God and even the way that we deal with one another. And I wonder if the fact that we're not a bowing society might have an effect on the way that we worship and also the way that we treat other people. Because in cultures where people bow either to one another or bow to kings and queens or, or leaders, it, it communicates something physically and visibly. And so what you're doing as you bow to someone is you are literally lowering your body lower than their body in a way to say, I respect you and I count you as more significant than myself. And the reality is in the Christian life, posture matters. 
And not just the posture that we take spiritually, but even our physical posture matters. And it tells us something about how we view God and how we understand God and how we relate to him. Think about Peter. Last week we used some negative examples about Peter, so let's talk about a good one. When the disciples were on the boat with Jesus and they were scared for their lives because of the storm. When we see Jesus walk onto the front of the ship and quiet the storm and quiet the waves, Peter has a really strange reaction. It's not relief, it's not joy, but it's a different kind of fear. Peter drops on his face in front of Jesus and basically says, I need you to get away from me because you are too holy and too powerful and I don't deserve to stand in your presence. You see, as Peter gains this new perspective about who Jesus is, all of a sudden he sees the magnitude of the power that Jesus has. Jesus puts the majesty of God on display, and all of a sudden Peter sees not only Jesus for who he is, but he sees himself for who he is. The only reaction that he has is to fall on his face and beg Jesus to just get away because he's too holy and too good. And all of a sudden, Peter is overwhelmed with a deeper kind of meekness than we could ever imagine. You see, seeing God for who he truly is and seeing the beauty of salvation that Christ has given us should not only change our posture spiritually, but it should even change our posture physically. And this doesn't mean that every time we come into church and sing songs that you have to be the person laying on your face or lifting your hands to the sky. But there does need to be times, whether it's in our private prayer life or even in the midst of worship, where our inward meekness and our inward gentleness, that the perspective that we gain from seeing Christ should be so life-altering and life-changing that it manifests itself in us physically. That we would be willing to get on our knees or get on our faces and worship God as he truly is. That we should put that posture into practice in our lives. But it doesn't just stop there. Because while meekness certainly begins with our attitude, our relationship, and our posture towards God, as we've seen in every fruit of the Spirit, what begins in our relationship with God ultimately pours out of us in our relationship with one another. And so our posture should not only change in the way that we relate to God, but salvation should change our posture towards other people as well. You see, when we see God as he truly is, then what that does is also teaches us to see the world as God sees the world and to see other people as God sees other people. And so we have to ask ourselves, what does my posture towards others say to them? What does my posture and the way that I relate to other people say to other people? What does it communicate about the way that I see God and the way that I see others? Do I walk around looking down my nose at people? Do I walk around with my shoulders back thinking that I'm too good for this place? Or do I walk around with my sleeves rolled up and my hands ready to get dirty, being willing to take a posture like Jesus did as he got on his hands and knees and washed the feet of his disciples? Our inward and our outward posture towards other people should communicate Paul's command to count other people as more significant than ourselves. Because when we see God in that true perspective, we start to see other people in that same perspective. 
And we start to realize, just like we do as we confess our sin week after week after week, that, that there's not some sort of weird hierarchy on who's better and who's worse. But compared to God, when God is our standard, we're all in the same place as sinners in need of the grace and mercy of God. And we have the ability to show that to others, even in the way that we speak, in the way that we communicate, and in the way that we present ourselves to them. Because our perspective changes our posture. And then as all these things begin to change, what happens is this new perspective and this new posture begins to reveal our new identity. The new perspective and the new posture begin to reveal our new identity. As we've been talking through the fruit of the Spirit and freedom in Christ and what that looks like, we've seen one of the miracles of salvation. Because Paul talks about salvation itself as being a mystery. And there are certain tangible things that we can put our hands on and say, okay, this is how I know that I'm a follower of Christ, and this is how I know what it looks like. But there are also certain things that happen at the point of salvation, at the moment when we trust in Christ to forgive us of our sins, when we repent of our sins and trust in the grace and mercy of God. At that exact moment, there's a declaration that takes place. That we don't see physical chains fall off our wrists, but we have this promise that when we trust in Christ, that we are declared free. That he looks at us and says, you're no longer slaves to sin. You're no longer slaves to the law, but you are free to pursue and to follow me, even though nothing seems to have changed physically or maybe even at that moment spiritually about us, we've been made free. A couple weeks ago, we talked about goodness. And while goodness certainly has these outward manifestations, goodness begins with a declaration. That just like God looked at the world as he created it and said it is good, when God creates us new in Christ, he looks at us, and even though we haven't done any work to change who we are, he looks at us and he says, because of Christ, now you're good. And in the same way, at that moment, when we put our faith in Christ, he all of a sudden declares us to be people who are capable of meekness and capable of gentleness. But even beyond that, we are people who are now meek and gentle. And we see this in the life of Paul. Paul was somebody who worked his entire life to achieve something. He had gone through the schooling. He had gone through the training. He had gone through all of the rigors of preparing himself to be this religious leader, to be this Pharisee. And he was really good at it and took it really seriously. And it was a point of pride, as it would be with anybody in his position. That was the the top thing he could be grasping for. And he had achieved it. And it was a point of pride and a point of boasting until he met Christ. And as he's walking on that Damascus road to keep doing his pious persecution of Christians, he meets the resurrected Jesus and all of a sudden his perspective changes. All of a sudden he sees Christ for who he really is and we see Paul have have a posture change as well. And out of that new perspective and out of that new posture, something deep is revealed about who Paul is because now all of a sudden he says, all these things that I worked for, all the stuff that I held so dear, I now count it as loss. Because as the song we just sang, Paul knew that truth. He said, all I have and all I need is Christ. And my only boast is in Christ. And so I have nothing else to brag about. I have nothing else to take pride in except for Jesus. And that new identity allowed Paul to live a life of meekness and gentleness, counting others as more significant than himself and worshiping God and all that he had. 
One of the most fatal flaws that we can have in the Christian life is thinking that Christianity and the fruit that comes with Christianity is something that we do when it's in fact something that we are. We use Christian as a terminology to describe the way that we do things. And we think about Christianity so often as something that we go out and we put into practice, but we're not called to simply practice Christianity. We're called to be Christians. We're not called to simply go out and act joyfully. We're called to be joyful. We're called to not simply go out and to do things that show love and affection. We're called to be love. And in the same way, we're not called to simply go out and to practice meekness. We're not simply supposed to go out and to do gentle things in the world, but we are supposed to be changed to the core of who we are, to be people who are meek. It's a new identity and a new way of life, not simply a new way of living. As we practice our perspective and our posture, what we'll begin to find is that the effort that goes into meekness will begin to fade, and that meekness and that gentleness will begin to reveal itself as a natural movement in our lives because it's born out of who we are in Christ, not simply what we do. It's not about what we can go out and accomplish, but it's about what Christ has accomplished for us and allowing Christ to work in and through us as he grows that fruit of the Spirit in our lives because he's given us a new identity. And then we put all those things together. Just like we've seen with every fruit of the Spirit so far, it always leads to action. We get this new perspective that changes our posture and reveals our identity. And all of those things work together to send us into doing something. That's why this word is so much bigger than simple meekness. Because meekness can just be who we are. You can be a meek person. And humility is is an attitude that you can take. And gentleness is an action you can do. But this word illustrates all of those things together. And so we're not doing it the way we're called to do it if we don't put our meekness into practice. And if you were to ask me a story of Jesus' life that my mind goes to immediately when I think about the meekness and the gentleness of Jesus... I go immediately to Jesus standing before a woman who was caught in adultery. And if you don't know the story, some of these religious leader guys find this woman who was living a life of sexual immorality. She was living a life of unfaithfulness. And they find her, and I don't know how, maybe they have some sort of weird religious leader vice unit or SVU squad, and they go and they find this woman and they bring her to Jesus. And it's just the woman. I guess they let all the other guys go because it takes two for all of this to happen. But she finds herself in front of Jesus. And they come to Jesus and they say, we know that this woman has been caught in infidelity and that she's covered up in sexual immorality. And you know what the law says. And so I guess we need to stone her to death. And they bring her to Jesus not because they trust him as a great teacher, not because they want his opinion about this, but because they're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to catch Jesus as as someone who either breaks the law that says that she's worthy to be stoned to death or someone who's going to put to death a woman. Either way, they find this as a chance to look at Jesus and say, see, you're not who you say you are. But Jesus looks at the man and he looks at the woman and we're told that he bends down and he writes something in the ground. And then he stands up and he looks at these men who are accusing this woman. He says, listen, Let's get started. Whichever one of you is without sin, you throw the first stone. 
and then everybody else can follow. And then one by one, these religious leaders, the best of the best, the guys who knew all the answers and did all the right things, all of a sudden they began to realize that none of them were worthy to throw the stone. And so one by one, they drop the rocks and they walk away. And Jesus looks at this woman and he says, who's left to condemn you? And she says, nobody but you. And he says, well, then I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. You've been set free from this, and so go and take this grace and this mercy and sin no more. Now, when we talk about this story, it's really easy to see how Jesus dealt gently with the woman, but we also need to understand that Jesus also dealt with meekness and gentleness towards her accusers. Because remember who Jesus is. Remember what the Epiphany season reminds us of, is that Jesus is God. That he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That he is holy and righteous and perfect. And so he had the ability to do what those men couldn't. He was without sin and so he could have picked up a stone and put this woman to death. But not only that, he had the ability to deal harshly with her and with her accusers. He could judge and condemn and punish them because he had that authority and he would be no less good and no less holy. And yet he sends the men away even though they know what a mistake they'd made. And he offers gentle salvation to the woman. Andrew Peterson wrote a song called In the Night. And it's, it's one of my favorite songs because he talks about the fear that comes in just living life in general. And the fact that, that there's such fear associated with the night. And how the anxiety and the uncertainty and the difficulty of night can come. And we don't know how things are going to work out. And he, he intertwines with that feeling all of these stories through scripture that talk about the faithfulness and gentleness of God. And he talks about that story with the woman caught in adultery. And he said, I can see the crowd of men retreating as he stands between the woman and their stones. And if mercy in his holy heart is being, then in the night my hope lives on. And for Andrew Peterson, just like for us, what he understood about that story is that if Jesus dealt kindly with the woman caught in adultery, if Jesus conducted himself with meekness towards these men who were accusers and who were hypocrites and who were trying to see him stumble and fall, if he could deal gently and lovingly with all of them, then he can do the same for us. That no matter who I am, no matter what I've done, no matter where I've come from, there's no too far gone for Christ because he deals gently with the worst sinners we could possibly imagine. And no matter whether we find ourselves wrapped up in legalism or unfaithfulness, that his gentleness and his kindness and his meekness is sufficient for us. And so because of that, we can have hope in Christ. And then Jesus tells us, And he calls us and he saves us to reflect him. To reflect his character and his glory and his goodness. The fruit of the Spirit are meant to be lived out and put on display. And this meekness, this gentleness is no exception. And so we have to learn to conduct ourselves gently and in meekness at all times, just as Christ did. And we're going to look next week at what meekness is and what it isn't and how we balance strength and how we balance meekness because there's a balance that we see put forth in Christ. But what this means is there should be something noticeably different in the way that we go about absolutely everything that we do. 
every conversation we have, every interaction that we have, all of those things should be radically changed by the gospel. We have to learn to deal with other people gently as Christ deals with us. And that's a hard thing for us to do. And you can hear people all the time talking about these silly little labels that we put on ourselves when people say, I'm just the kind of, I'm the kind of guy that speaks truth. Or I just really believe in tough love. Or people just don't really get me because I'm just not very politically correct. But all of those are just nice little ways of getting around the fact that sometimes we act like jerks. And if we don't have to say it out loud, if we can hide behind being not politically correct or just speaking truth, we can hide the fact that reality is we're not nice all of the time. And that we don't do a good job of dealing gently with one another. But we need to treat others the way that we want to be treated. Jesus gives us a direct commandment that says, do unto others as you would like them to do to you. But we also need to treat people as Jesus treats us. And in the midst of my unfaithfulness, in the midst of my sin, in the midst of my rebellion, in the midst of my pride and my arrogance and all of those things, and all of the things that make me unworthy of the love of Christ and that gives me not just... (laughs) not just makes me unworthy of his love, but it makes me worthy of his anger and his wrath and his judgment. And that would be right for him to give me. Yet he still loves me so much that in spite of all that, he deals gently with me. And he approaches me with kindness and love and mercy. And if Christ can do that for me day after day after day, then I can certainly do that for others in the way that I think about people, in the way that I talk to people, and in the way that I treat people. And I venture to say, if we're talking about how our fruit of the Spirit can be a testimony, in the midst of the the climate and the language and the way that we talk to each other right now in our country, if Christians started living this out and thinking about others with the gentleness and meekness that Christ thinks about us, if we started treating people and speaking to people with that kind of meekness and kindness, it wouldn't be hard for it to stand out as something radical and revolutionary and different. When it comes to our Christian life and our actions, nothing less than Christ-like gentleness will do. And so we need to look to Christ to see his example of gentleness and meekness and mercy and put that into practice in our lives. And again, next week, we'll talk about the balance there on how we can speak when we need to speak, but to do so in gentleness and how we can take stands that need to be strong and firm, but also do that, doing that with the same heart that Christ did. And we'll look at Jesus clearing a temple, and seeing how that too can also be done out of gentleness, but it has to be born out of this new perspective and posture and identity that leads us to conduct ourselves in the way that Christ conducted himself and also deals with us day to day. We serve a God who is staggeringly big. A God who is unbelievably holy. A God who is unmeasurably righteous. And also a God who is shockingly gentle with people who don't meet that standard. That's the good news of the gospel. 
if you're here and you've never heard this or never, never trusted in this message, that's why we're here. Because we believe that even though we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That he loves us and cares for us so much that he was willing to humble himself and through Christ take on the form of a servant, become nothing for us and offer himself through his death on the cross, completely humiliating himself and then raising again so that broken and weak sinners can put their faith in him and repent of their sins and be made new and be made whole and that he will deal gently with us day after day after day because as Paul says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and so if you've never trusted in Christ before then then it's that simple that beautiful and that profound that it costs us nothing it costs him everything and by simply trusting in Christ and repenting of our sins that we can be made new. And if you want to know more about that, then you can come and talk with me or, or go to the back and talk with David after the service is done today. And we'll talk with you about what it means to trust in Christ and go through baptism because it's a beautiful gift from God. If you're here and you trust in Christ for salvation, then we all have the daily responsibility to look to the God who saved us to see him as he truly is, and to realize that there is no way that we could possibly stand arrogantly or pridefully when he is our standard. It changes the way that we see God. It changes the way that we see ourselves. But it also changes the way that we see the world around us. And so we have to gain that perspective and take the right posture, understand our new identity, and then go out and to be gentle, living lives marked by the meekness of Christ. And next week, we're going to look a little more in depth about what that gentleness is and what it isn't so that we can be sure that we are trusting in Christ and that we have the big picture of what this one small word really means.